Isn't God's love amazing? Amen. Wonderful singing this morning. If you have your Bibles, we are in the Gospel of Luke, chapter number 14. We are continuing in our journey as we are investigating the life of Jesus here. And if you recall, last week, Jesus was invited uh, to a banquet at the home of the ruler of the Pharisees. And so as he goes to this banquet, goes to enjoy a meal with them there, um, well, Jesus realized that he was being set up for something. He, he knew that there was an ulterior motive, that there was a, a separate agenda. And while he's there, before anything else happens, uh, the Pharisees there and the lawyers there bring in a man who is uh, sick, very sick, who uh, is disabled and, and needs to be healed. And they, they set this up because, you th- because basically it was the Sabbath. And they wanted to know, is Jesus going to break the Sabbath rule? And if you were here last week, you learned very quickly, yes, Jesus broke the Sabbath rule. Why? Because if you don't hear anything else, I want you to hear this. People are much more important to God than anything else. God created us and loves us and wants to take care of us. And so Jesus stood strong. He, he weathered the test and then he laid out their hypocrisy. And interestingly enough, we're not done. We're still in the same place. Jesus is still seated at the table. He's not done uh, speaking to the Pharisees and the lawyers that were there. And so Jesus still moves on and wants to teach them a couple lessons, wants to give them a parable and something that we need to be listening to and heeding to ourselves. But the motivation for what Jesus is sharing and the reason why he gets into what he's getting into here really is not because of the test that was given to him, but really because of what he faced and what he dealt with and we looked at a couple weeks ago. Do you remember a couple weeks ago when Jesus mourned over Jerusalem? Remember when he looked at Jerusalem and he, and he was upset with the fact that Jerusalem rejected him and wasn't going to accept him and he cared for Jerusalem. If you remember, we, we used the, the quote from Theodore Roosevelt that says, no one cares what you know until they know that you care. And that the, the key to a successful ministry is caring. And so we asked ourselves, do we care? And do we care like Jesus cares here? And Jesus using that as his motivation really lays out to these Pharisees here, these religious leaders, these lawyers here, trying to deal with this situation on what is more important to them, the rules, or do you care about people? And if you care about people, how do you show people that you care about them? What's the secret to having a caring heart? What's the secret to being a caring person? And that's what Jesus lays out to them, the secret of having a caring heart that produces a successful ministry. Remember, every single one of us who followers of Jesus Christ are in the ministry. We have been called to follow the Lord, to, to serve Him, and to serve others. And so how do we have a caring heart that produces a, a successful ministry? What's the secret to that? Well, before we get into that, I want to I ask you to kind of help me a little bit uh, this morning. I was thinking about a song and thinking about the lyrics to, to a song and, and to, to the chorus, and I want to f- see if maybe you know the one word I need to fill into this, this chorus here. Back in the 80s, now that's way back when, right? Back in the 80s, 
This song became an international hit. It's been sung by many different artists throughout uh, the years uh, there, but uh, Matt Davis is a country artist. He's the one who actually wrote this song. I had to look that up. I didn't even know who Matt Davis was. And uh, so I'm not a real big fan of country music, especially back in the 80s. You might be. That's fine. That's wonderful. But even still, I know the line of this chorus, and it is stuck in my head, and I have sung this chorus many, many times, and I wonder if you can help me fill in the important word here. The chorus begins with this, oh Lord, it's hard, all right, you guys know that a little too well. I didn't even get to the third word and you already ha had it out. Oh Lord, it's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. That'll stick in your head now the rest of the week. You're welcome, right? And I'm sure none of us want to admit it. Uh, I'm sure all of us want to consider ourselves to be humble. But the truth is, is all of us have acted exactly what this chorus has said. All of us have had times where we've uh, tried to elevate ourselves over others, where we belittle people with our words to make us look better, to uh, we believe that we are more important than, than others, or that what we wanted was more important than what they wanted. I, was, I wanted to get my way. All of that is not being humble. All of that is being prideful and, and arrogant. And while this may not be the norm of your life, or maybe it is, we understand that as followers of Jesus Christ, we're to be humble. We're not to be arrogant. We're not to be proud. We're not to live uh, this way. And this is what Jesus is dealing with with the Pharisees and the lawyers. Because quite honestly, to put it very simply, the Pharisees were arrogant. The, they were not humble. They were the complete opposite of humble. As a matter of fact, they believed, they taught, and they told everybody because they were Pharisees, they were better than everybody else. <laughs> And they lived that way. And so Jesus is at the table. He's with all these Pharisees, with all these lawyers that are there. Uh, they just tested him. And he is now laying out his heart. And he is laying out the heart of God to them. And he wants to talk to them about this topic, about how to care for others and what the key of caring for others is. And so look what Jesus says here. Uh, he's still sitting around the dinner table here with all of those people in verse number 7. The beginning of that verse says, Now he told a parable to those who were invited. Now this is very important, this next statement. This is interesting. He tells them this parable when what? When he noticed how they chose the places of honor. In other words, Jesus noticed how they wanted to be seated around the table. He was noticing how they came in, and he was noticing how they came to the party and, and where they wanted to seat. And like every good preacher, he's always looking for a sermon illustration, right? And he had one, and he had the audience that he wanted to talk to. And what he's talking about here is he noticed where they wanted to sit. Now, you might say to yourself, why in the world is it important that Jesus notice where they want to sit? Well, in their culture, and let's be very honest, in our culture as well, but in their culture, it was devised that the person that sat, that sat closest to the host at the dinner party, especially to the right of the host at the dinner party, was the most honored person at the party. 
And so if you can imagine these Pharisees and these lawyers knowing this, getting there, they kind of got to the party a little bit early and trying to vie for this, the seat where they could sit next to the, clo- the closest to the host and, and find their seat and then try to sit around close uh, to them uh, as well. And Jesus is watching them make their way uh, to do this and he's watching them trying to be in the places of honor and where they sit. And it, to himself, he's actually chuckling and he, he's, you know, I could hear Jesus saying these words. It would be really funny if it wasn't so sad that they were fighting to try to be the best or the most important in that setting. And that leads Jesus to give this parable. And it's, it's a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. But really, there's more, uh, there's more earth in this that is actually happening than heavenly meaning. And so he lays it, lays it out and says, In verse number 7, the last part of it says to them, When you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, he uses a wedding feast as the scenario here, he says, Do not sit in a place of honor. So without pointing them out, he points them out, doesn't he? (laughs) And as he does that, he uses this wedding feast. Now, the party that he's at is not a wedding feast. It's just a party. It's just a a banquet that the Pharisee had. And so there wasn't really uh, special seating if you will, although they knew culturally where they were supposed to sit and how they were supposed to sit and stuff like that. But at a wedding, if you've been to a wedding reception, same thing there as it is for us, you would understand and recognize there's assigned seating, isn't there? At least there's assigned seating for the family members and, and for the, the wedding party and that if you were to go into a reception hall, you would know that there would be, in our culture today, there would be a table probably up front for the, the bride and the groom and all of the party there. But, but then the ne- next row of tables that were probably closest to that would be the family members and, and all of them there. And then as it would go back would usually be the friends and others and, and stuff like that, kind of that order. We recognize that. Same way in their wedding banquet of that that day there, they would have it set up similar or the same way. The tables up close or or the seating up close would be those for family, those who were higher up, if you will, in this. And Jesus says, "Don't, don't sit down in the place of honor. Don't sit down in the place that's designated for family and friends and stuff like that. He says, why don't sit down in that? He gives a practical lesson here. He says, Lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. Can you say ouch? (laughs) That's kind of a little dig there. You think you're important. You think you're special uh, here. So you want to find the best place to sit, the place of honor. And then all of a sudden someone's going to come in that is more distinguished than you. Uh, For example, to give us a picture of this, you are just a friend that has been invited to the party, but but the the mother and the father of the bride come in, and you're sitting in the seat where the mother and the father of the bride sat. Guess who's moving, right? That's what he's saying. He's saying, don't assume that you're going to be up front there. And someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And what does he do? And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to that person. And then you will begin with shame to take the lowest seat. He says, you're so arrogant. You're so so haughty. You think you're so important that you're going to sit in a place of honor. And all you do is you ruin it for everyone. Not only do you ruin it for everyone, you come in and, and, the, and if you use the analogy of the parents of the, the bride coming in and you're sitting in their seat, now someone has to come up to you and go, no, I'm sorry, you can't sit here, you need to move. 
So not only that, so not only is the person that's more distinguished than you is embarrassed, you're embarrassed, and the host is embarrassed, and the whole party has this shame over it because of why? Because you thought you were something when you weren't. You thought you were more important than you should have been. And Jesus says, let me give you some advice. And it's practical advice, and you all know the advice. It's very simple. Verse number 10, but when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. He says, listen, don't, don't come in assuming that you should be at the, the, the greatest or the highest place. Sit back. As a matter of fact, sit all the way back. Go all the way to where, where maybe you, you shouldn't sit so that the host comes to you and says, oh, no, 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 I want you to move up. And so is Jesus telling us to make sure we sit somewhere so that they pick us out and we honor ourselves? Well, look at me. I, move, I'm, I must be in the front row, right? You know, right? No, that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about having a humble heart, that you don't look at yourself so, so important that you allow the host to elevate you instead of you elevating you. And the, the, the lesson is so simple. We know this. We, we've already got, got this. Verse 11, Jesus just lays it out. For everyone who exalts himself will be humble, and he who humbles himself will be exalt, exalted. Jesus' point is simple, but profound. If you try to exalt yourself and you try to lift yourself up and you try to make yourself look good, you are going to eventually fall. You're going to try to make yourself look good, you're going to be moved out of that position. But if you humble yourself and you continually humble yourself, you will find yourself being exalted, being moved up, being left. And here's the kicker to all of this. Every single one of us knows someone can think of someone right now in our mind who has exalted themselves. And what do you do when they do that? When they come in, they're all arrogant, all puffed up, stuff like that. What do you do when they walk by you, they can't see you? You roll your eyes, don't you? <laughs> right? Oh, here they are again, making a scene, all this kind of stuff there. And, and, and God says when we do that, we, we just make a mess of everything. And then when we humble ourselves, he exalts us. But what, what is Jesus getting to here? Is this only about just... Looking good, is, is that what he's wanting? Is he just trying to help us to, to look good in these social settings? Well, no, Jesus has a deeper point, and he's going to get to it here in just a moment. But let me set it up this way. The biggest thing that Jesus is getting at here and will address directly with the host is that, listen now, those who exalt themselves will never be able to minister God's grace to others. You hear that? Whoever lifts up and puffs up themselves and exalts themselves will never be able to successfully convey God's grace to others. And he addresses this and nails it home with the host. He talked to the, the guests about this, trying to find their seats. And then verse 12, he said this. He said also to the man that had invited him. He says, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. So Jesus says, listen, when you invite people to your party, to your wedding banquet, to whatever it is, don't invite your friends and those rich neighbors and, and those types of people. You know why Jesus said that? Because Jesus doesn't want you to have any friends. No, kidding. That's a joke. 
It makes you wonder, doesn't it? It makes you think, why in the world would Jesus not? I mean, listen, if I have a party, I'm inviting my friends, right? I'm inviting those who I, I like and those who I, I want to be there. What is, what is he referring to? Is Jesus against this type of thing? No, he's not concerned with the guest list. Now listen, as much as he is concerned with the motivation for the guest list. What does he say here? Well, you invite those people because you know eventually you're going to be invited back to their place. And you just pray they have steak when you have hamburgers, right? Right? It's going to be repaid. It's going to be, you're, you're going to go and, and, and uh, uh, you're going to get back what you've put into it. You haven't sacrificed anything. You haven't put into anything. What he's really getting at is this. What the picture of this really is, is he's talking about an elite group of people that get together on a regular basis. The only people that I ever invite to come over, the only people that I have over are my close friends, my relatives, my rich neighbors, those that are going to benefit me to come in and, and be a part. And then, and then when, when I have them, then they're going to have me, and then we're going to, it's going to be a circle. And here's what's going to happen. This group is going to become elite so that no one else can come and be a part of that group. Maybe you'll understand it more this way, us four and no more, Right? That's what he's saying. He's saying you're creating an atmosphere, you're creating a group where no one else can come, no one else can be a part of the group, no one else can, can be helped in any of this. And he says, listen, what you should do is this, verse 13, but when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. Invite them to come. And he says something very strange. When you invite them to come to the party, then you will actually truly be blessed. You think you're blessed when your friends come over because they invite you to another dinner? He says, no, you're going to be blessed because you're going to experience genuine ministry. You're going to be blessed because you're going to experience the genuine grace of God. And then he goes on and says, because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. In other words, you'll be blessed because God will bless you. You think it's important that you uh, get blessed from your friends when they pay back what, what you have done. That's nothing. He says, and look at what he's playing to here. You need to understand what he's playing to here. He's playing to the Pharisees, right? He's saying, okay, if you're a Pharisee, you're a religious leader, right? In other words, you're a minister, right? And as a minister, shouldn't you want to bring God glory? Shouldn't you want to bring blessing to him and seek the blessing of God in your life, not the blessing of man? He was putting him right on the spot here. And he says, it's better for you to invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. Now, I wonder. I love putting myself into these circumstances. and I, I wish I was just sitting right there. I wonder if Jesus took the man that they brought in as a joke to test him that he just healed. I wonder if he kind of put his arm around him and said uh yeah bring the poor bring the crippled bring the, you know this person that you tried to humiliate you know this person that you tried to put down bringing them in and making him the center of all this stuff invite them invite the lowly now we really don't get this that much in our culture but but the pharisee now based upon who they were as pharisees this wasn't just uh, taboo, this went totally against all of their thinking because their belief was that if someone has a disease, someone has a, an illness, someone is crippled or lame or, or blind, well, they're that way because of sin. 
And if I invite them to do a party and invite them to come into my house, then I'm letting a sinner into my house. And I am a righteous person. I am not a sinner like them. This totally blew his mind. This totally blew what he believed. As a matter of fact, it would make him a mockery to other Pharisees, and it would cause him to lose status as a ruler of the Pharisee. And how many of you know that was kind of Jesus' point? That was his point. You're too worried about what others think of you. You're too worried of your position. You're too, uh, can I put it this way? You're too heavenly minded to be any earthly good. You are elevating yourself. And once again, Jesus makes this point. In church, if we don't get it, anything else, through these last several segments of Jesus' teaching, we've got to get this. People are more important to God than rules. People are more important to God. He has called us to minister to people. And Jesus tells him that, listen, your reward is not your status with everybody else. Your reward is not being invited to the nicest parties of your friends and rich neighbors. Your reward needs to be as a follower of Jesus Christ, as a minister, as a religious leader. Your reward is to bless God and be blessed by God for doing what God has called you to do. And now as we listen to Jesus say these words, as we listen to Jesus talk, we recognize or we should recognize that even though Jesus is talking to the Pharisees here, he's actually talking to us today, isn't he? You see, those of us who have been blessed to know Jesus as our Lord and Savior need to hear these words. And I want you to get, a, get this today. What is Jesus telling us today? Jesus is telling us this. If you're taking notes, write this down. If not, write this down anyways. As a child of God, listen now. You are not better than anyone else. You are simply better off. As children of God, as being saved, as being followers of Jesus Christ, and us putting our faith in Jesus Christ, receiving His outrageous grace in our life, Him saving us, uh, knowing that we can do nothing to save ourselves doesn't elevate us to a status higher than the lost. It just means that we know the Savior. It just means we know the one who is going to get us into heaven. We, we have just surrendered uh, to him. All of us who are saved are simply sinners saved by God's amazing grace. Now that should cause us to live different. That should cause us to live like Christ. That should cause us to do better, to act better because of what God has done uh, in us. But it doesn't give us a status better. It gives us a status that is better off. You see, Paul wrote about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and he laid it all on the line here. And I want to read this to you. It'll be on the screen. He says, Or do you not know, talking to those who are saved, talking to the church, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? So those who are lost, do not know Jesus as Lord and Savior, will not have heaven as their home. They will die and go into hell. But he says, do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral 
nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Don't get hung up on the list. All he's saying is those of us that are sinners outside of Jesus Christ who don't accept him as Lord and Savior will not inherit the kingdom of God. And who are these? And such were some of you. That's where we all start. That's where we all begin. We are all sinners. We all have chosen to go against God. As a matter of fact, the scripture uses hard language. The Bible says that outside of Jesus Christ, we are enemies of God. We all began as enemies of God. No person came out of their mother's womb saved. We all started out and start out in this life as being enemies of God. But if you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, look at what he says. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. And praise God if that's you. That's wonderful. But all that means is that you've moved from being a sinner to being a saint. But you're not better than anybody else. In other words, can I put it this way? You went from a person not having the answer to a person having the answer. Right? As such were some of you. That's me. That's you. We're all born sinners, wretched and wicked and in desperate need of a Savior. And if you, by God's amazing grace have had the privilege of hearing the true good news and salvation plan of God and accepting it, then praise God you are redeemed and you are saved. And this means that you are better off than those who are not saved. But you are not better than those who are not saved. But what this means even more is because of that status, because you are better off, because now you know the answer, you are called by God to be a part of his wonderful ministry of giving the answer, of giving the truth, of reaching those who are lost. In reaching those, can, can I say it, church? Listen, in reaching those who have standards now that don't meet our standards because our standard is Christ. Those who we would look at and we would see the sin of their life. And we sometimes as Christians step back and go, I would never do that. Not by God's grace, there go I. Those who we look at who have, who have totally been sold out to this world, the lies of this world, the ploys of Satan that are living in horrible situations and making horrible choices and making bad life choices, totally running the opposite of God. Those are who God calls us to go to. You see, Jesus comes for us so that we can go. Do you get it? And this is what Paul, Paul summed up. Everything that Jesus says here in this passage, when he says, listen, don't elevate yourself, don't lift yourself up, uh, don't, don't try to exalt yourself, bring in those who are, who are 
worse off than you or a lower estate than you. This is what he said, and he likens this to the mindset of Jesus Christ. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, he sums it all up in this. Do nothing for selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than you. So does that mean that we consider those uh, uh, over us that, that live better than us and have better lives than us and are, are more godly than us? No, he's talking about those who are at the lowest level of their life, those who are struggling with the greatest sin, those who are struggling with the deepest sin, the most wicked sin. We as believers are to humble ourselves to go where they are so they can be one to Christ. One of my professors in school used to try to give us a picture, and I don't know how to do this, of, of Christ, of God himself being enrobed in human flesh coming after us. And the only picture he'd come up with I think is a good picture is this. It would be like you enrobing yourself in the flesh of a cockroach and going to cockroaches so they might be saved. I don't know one good thing about a cockroach, do you? They live forever, I guess. That's all I know. Folks, where are the cockroaches? Our God loved us enough in our state of sin to come after us. And listen carefully. If you're saved here today, there's someone in your life that humbled themselves to come to you. And church, God tells us that we are to have a ministry of caring. No one knows what you know until they know that you care. The successful ministry is when we care for others. But the heart or the secret of caring for others is that you must first humble yourself. Until you humble yourself, you will not care. And if you don't care, you will not minister. You cannot do what God has called you to do unless you first humble yourself and care so you can do the ministry he's called us to. Do nothing for selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. What's the secret to a caring heart? What's the key to a successful ministry? Simply this, the secret to a caring heart is humility. Humility. What are you willing to do and where are you willing to go to reach the worst of the worst of the lost? What family member do you need to make things right with so that you can give them the gospel message? What person do you know is struggling with the addictions of this world, the alcohol, the drugs? the sexual immorality? Which person do you know is living in the lifestyle of homosexuality or lesbianism? Where we as Christians go, oh my goodness, we need to go to them. We need to go to them. Because the answer to every problem is Jesus. The answer to every struggle is Jesus. The only way out of anything that this world has, the sins of this world, is Jesus. In church, if you're saved, you have the answer. 
Take them, Jesus. But you can't do it until you humble yourself. You can't care for others until you humble yourself. And when you do, God will give you a ministry that will reach this world. The secret to a caring heart is humility. Will you humble yourself so that God can use you? Will you stand with me in God's house today? Father, the truth is, at times in all of our lives, we have to admit it's hard to be humble. So Holy Spirit, we need you. We need your working on our hearts. We need you to help us. We need you to give us eyes that you have. We need you to give us hearts that you have. We need to see this world, this lost and dying world as you do. And we need to humbly go and take the good news. So God, use this church. Use us, Lord, in this community to bring you great honor and glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful week.